already been walking through 1 Samuel, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, and I want to take a brief moment and share with you some thoughts from the next passage that's in the book of 1 Samuel. When our perspective changes on something, when perspective shifts, when our perspective changes and we begin to see something through a new angle, really everything changes. The way we act, the way we respond, the way we speak, when our perspective changes on something, when it shifts on something, really a lot of other things change as well. Our reactions, our responses, the way we talk, the decisions that we make, everything changes once our perspective changes on something. Let me give you an example. It used to be that when I flew on planes, That I would sit in the airplane, and if a child, if a baby started to cry and continued to cry on that airplane, I would roll my eyes, and I would say to myself, what is wrong with these people? What is wrong with these parents? Give them a pacifier, give them a bottle, give them a game, give them something. I would look at passengers next to me and shake my head and say, I don't know, what do you think is going on back there? I don't know what their problem is. That was my perspective. Then I had my own kids. (laughs) And now, when I get on a plane and a child begins to scream and cry, I just lift up my hands and say, there's nothing you can do. (laughs) There's nothing you can do. God bless those folks. They're doing everything they can. And nothing will change. Because when our perspective changes, the way we react, the way we think, the way we speak, it changes as well. You know, each person in this room, we all have our own perspective on things. If there's 200 people in here right now, there are 200 different perspectives sitting in the room as we speak. And the interesting thing about our perspectives, in fact, I would say one of the scary things about our perspectives is that all of our perspectives are very limited. They're limited to our experience. They're limited to the people that we know. They are limited by the socioeconomic status that we were raised in and that we experience now. They're limited by the places that we grew up. For many of us in here, the countries that we grew up in, the neighborhoods that we grew up in, the states that we grew up in, all of our perspectives are limited in some way and they are limited down to our experiences. They're limited down to the things that have happened in our life and all of that provides a filter through which we see Things And I say that that can be scary because the scary thing about that is our limited perspective when that's all we consider and that's all we follow can cause us to make poor decisions. In his book Blink, Malcolm Gladwell, who's a popular writer, Malcolm Gladwell writes a book called Blink. And in the book, he talks about decisions that we make without thinking. And he tells one story that talks about how our limited perspective can cause us to make decisions that are not the best decision. He said that for a long time, about 30 years, people were convinced that the process by which musicians were chosen for America's best orchestras, the Boston Pops and the like, that they had a good process down. Multiple judges would sit, musicians would come out, they would play their instrument, and then the judges would decide who got in and who was out. Well, in the 70s, the Metropolitan Opera Symphony, the symphony that plays at the Met in New York, one of America's biggest and most prestigious symphonies, changed the whole procedure. 
Rather than having the musicians come out and play in front of the judges, they kept all the musicians behind a screen. The popular TV series The Voice does something very similar. They kept all the musicians behind the screen. And there was one woman named Julie Landsman. And she was a French horn player. And she got behind the screen with all the other French horn players. And she played her selection from the French horn. And she said afterwards, she knew that she had won. She knew she was the best. Not being arrogant, but it just was true. She was the best. She was able to, in fact, at the very end of the piece, hold out a very difficult high note longer than anyone else who was back there was able to do. And she said when she finished, she could hear the judges sort of uh, murmur with approval. And she knew she had nailed it. She knew she had won. The interesting thing is that for decades, no men had, or no women had ever been in the horn section of the Met. It was just known that men could play those instruments better than women. And no woman had ever been in the horn section at the Met. So the judges announced their their findings and they announced the winner. And sure enough, it's Julie. And Julie comes out from behind the screen and the judges gasps, gasps. Not just because she was a woman and not just because um, she had been able to hold this note out longer than anyone else. They were so shocked because they knew her. She had been a substitute French horn player in the Met for years. And it was only when they put her behind a screen that they realized she was the best they had. When we change our perspective, things change. And our limited perspective can cause us to make Bad decisions. How many times in our lives have we made a bad decision and then years later we look back and we say, listen, if only I had known, if only someone had told me, if only I had seen things differently, if only I had opened my eyes, I would not have made so many bad decisions and I would not have wasted so much time. Our limited perspective leads us to make decisions sometimes that are not the right decision. And we end up wasting a lot of time that we otherwise could have used rightly. Just think about a question with me for a moment. What if our limited perspective, that thing that we trust, that tells us what to do and and how to do it, what if our limited perspective is causing us in our lives to make poor decisions right now? What if we're wasting time right now in our lives, that years from now we're going to look back and we're going to say, why did I make that decision? Why did I waste that time? If someone would have told me, if only I would have known, what if our limited perspectives are causing us to make poor decisions and to make the wrong decisions and to waste our time even right now? We're going to look at it's a short passage of scripture in 1 Samuel. And we're going to look at a passage of some folks whose limited perspective was leading them to make a bad decision. And then we're going to see that there's really one person. There's only one. Only one person whose perspective is truly unlimited. Only one person whose perspective truly matters. And the only way that we can be sure that we are not wasting our time and that we are not making bad decisions 
is to consider his perspective first. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that the people wanted a king in 1 Samuel. The Israelites came to the prophet Samuel and they said, listen, we want a king. And Samuel said, that's not a good idea. They said, do it anyway. And so Samuel went before God and they chose their king and Saul became king over the Israelites. And then you may remember if you listened to Pastor Rick's sermon last week, if you haven't, I would encourage you to go online and listen to it, where he talked about the idea that partial obedience is really full disobedience. We talked about how Saul did not listen to God and did not obey God fully. As a result, God, spirit, left Saul. So even though now Saul's still on the throne here in this next chapter, God's blessing has departed from Saul. Now God comes to Samuel, the prophet, and says, Samuel, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Bethlehem, and in Bethlehem, there's a man named Jesse. I want you to find Jesse, and he has a number of sons. One of his sons is going to be the man that I choose to be king over Israel. It's an interesting difference. From, God's, from, from their perspective before, the people had chosen who they thought to be the best king. Now God is saying to Samuel, listen, go to Bethlehem and see Jesse because one of his sons, from my perspective, this is the man that I am choosing to be the king. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem and when he arrives in Bethlehem, he sees Jesse and he sees one of Jesse's sons, Eliab, And Samuel looks from his limited perspective and he's trying to think in his head, what would a king look like? If I was going to choose a king, what would the king look like? And the Bible says that Samuel walks up and there's Jesse and there's Eliab and and, and Samuel looks at Eliab and says, if I was going to pick a king, Eliab has everything that you need. He's the right height. He just looks kingly when you look at Eliab. This has to be the guy. This has to be the one that God has chosen. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, God speaks back to Samuel as Samuel looks at Eliab and, and, and begins to judge him as the one God has chosen. The Lord says to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Basically, all those things that you're seeing, Samuel, that you think are kingly, Don't pay any attention to those. For the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Samuel goes to Eliab and he says, you know, it's not Eliab. And uh, Jesse is kind of surprised too, but he gets the other sons. And the other sons parade in front of Samuel. And each time a son steps in front of Samuel, God says, nope, not that one either. Not yet. And they get through all of them. And Samuel knows he's supposed to be there to anoint one of Jesse's sons king over Israel. And so he says to Jesse, are these all your sons? And Jesse says, well, these are all the ones who are qualified. These are all the ones who I think would be king. I mean, from Samuel's perspective and Jesse's perspective, all the options have been weighed. But Jesse says, you know, I do have one. I mean, he's young. He's just a kid, and he's out in the field, and he's taking care of the sheep. And Samuel says, well, go send for him. We will wait for him. Now, the Bible says that when this last son comes, his name is David. 
that David walks in and Samuel says that even though he's young, he does have a good look about him. The Bible says he's a handsome guy. He's a good looking guy. He's ruddy, the Bible says. In fact, we know what David looks like, right? Because Michelangelo sculpted him for us. There he is right there. There's David. Way ahead of his time fashion-wise. But there he is. And so David walks up. And God says to Samuel, when Samuel sees David, this is the one I have chosen. You know, from Samuel's perspective and Jesse's perspective, they would not have chosen David. But God says to them both, basically, listen, your perspective is limited. Samuel, you're limited by what you see in front of you. You're limited by, by what your eyes are telling you is the right decision to make. You're limited by, by your, your preconceptions of what a king should be. But my perspective is unlimited. I see far beyond you, and I'm telling you that from my unlimited perspective, David is the guy. In fact, he says, all those things that you look at, Samuel, all the things that you look at, height, appearance, stature, all those things that you're looking at, he basically says, I don't even see them. They don't even, they don't even come in my path. I don't even pay attention to those things. And my, from my unlimited perspective, this is the guy. There is no possible way from their limited perspective that Samuel or Jesse, or these other brothers could have looked at David being anointed with oil and understood that they were seeing the anointing while Saul was still on the throne of the greatest king that Israel would ever see. That they were in the town of Bethlehem a thousand years prior, seeing a king anointed, where a thousand years later, the king of kings would be born. There is no way they could appreciate that as a shepherd was called out from the fields surrounding Bethlehem to come and be anointed king, that a thousand years later, shepherds out in the fields in Bethlehem would be called in to worship the king because their perspective was limited. And God said, from my perch, from what I see as the all-knowing God, as the all-powerful God, this is the guy. And that's the reality of the world that we live in. All of us, all of us great decision makers and all of us great planners and all of us who think we know everything and all of us that think we know the right decisions to make, all of us have a very limited perspective. There is only one who has an unlimited perspective. And his perspective, at the end of the day, is the only one that matters. So what does that mean for us? Well, I think it means two things. If we really believe that our perspective is limited and God's perspective is unlimited, I think that means two things for us. First, it means that we need to start seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. We need to start seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. The great New York Times columnist David Brooks has a, a little five-minute TED Talk. And it's, it's, even though it's only five minutes long, there's, there's this powerful concept within it. He talks about a rabbi from the 60s named Joseph Soloveitchik. And he wrote a book in 1965 called The Lonely Man of Faith. In the book, Rabbi, rabbi Soloveitchik talks about that inside of each and every one of us, there are two creatures. He labels them Adam 1 and Adam 2. 
Adam 1, he says, goes after all of the earthly rewards he can. Adam 1 goes after all the position, all the power, all the money, all the authority, all the trophies, all the awards, all the grades. Adam 1 goes after those things. Then he said, but existing inside of us as well is Adam 2. Adam 2 cares about things like love and restoration and compassion and redemption. And Soloveitchik says that for all of us, we tend to develop Adam 1 really well. And the reason we develop Adam 1 so well is because Adam 1 is the only one who in this world is rewarded. Adam 1 gets all the accolades. That When you get a trophy, when you win an award, when you get the promotion, when you get the grade, when you get all those certificates, when you do all those things, Adam 1 gets rewarded. And since Adam 1 is the one who is rewarded more than anyone else, we tend to develop Adam 1 and think about Adam 1 and go after Adam 1. And meanwhile, Adam 2 gets left behind. David Brooks in his TED Talk says, Ask the audience, are you living for your resume or are you living for your eulogy? Meaning, are you living for the things that only matter today or are you living for the things that matter once you die? For us who believe in Christ, who believe that life begins at the eulogy, it doesn't end at the eulogy, the question that we have to consider is even more severe, has even greater consequence, and that is we don't ask ourselves, are we living for our resume or our eulogy? We need to ask ourselves, am I living my life for this world or the next? Am I in the decisions that I make and the way that I spend my time and the way that I walk through things, am I living right now today for this world or am I living for the next? Am I, the, am I developing all sorts of things in my life and taking all sorts of time and energy to focus on the things that do not matter in the perspective of eternity? Or am I spending my life on those things that matter in eternity? We get caught up in this world that only matters about today and the here and now. We get caught up in this world that for some reason thinks that our limited perspective um, um, that is that really it's our right to be happy and that the end goal of life is to be happy. And so from our limited perspective, we keep making all of these decisions just based on the fact that the purpose of life is to be happy. And we get all caught up in that. That's the world that we live in. We get all caught up in that. And so even as Christians, we start to spend all of our time just focusing on the here and now and only those things that are designed to make us happy today. Did you know that in the United States of America, this is right from, from the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, ASAPs, you may know them as. <laughs> Did you know that we spent $12 billion in 2014 on elective cosmetic procedures not covered by insurance? $12 billion. And in 2013, we spent $12 billion more. In the last 24 months or last two years, we spent $24 billion on elective cosmetic procedures in the United States of America. We have lost our minds. We really have. In 2014, over 1,000 men in the United States received pectoral implants. We've lost our minds. And we get caught up in this world that only cares about the here and now. We get caught up in, the, in this world that only cares about today. That thinks the goal is to look as good as you possibly can right now because when it's over, it's over. And so the money, the position, the, the power, everything else that, that kind of goes along with that mindset, we get all caught up in it. And we think... 
that God sits in heaven and looks down at us and just wants us to be happy and be nice to each other. But our perspective is so limited. We need to learn to see ourselves the way that God sees us. When God looks at us, just like he told Samuel, doesn't even see that stuff. Doesn't even see it. How we look, the money in our bank account, the title on our business card, doesn't even see it. Looks right to our hearts. And he sees us as sinners who need to be saved by grace, who need to turn our lives over to Jesus Christ, and who need to be led by his spirit to be more like him. That's how he sees us, each and every one of us. And the first thing that we need to do when we think about God's unlimited perspective is begin to view ourselves the way that God views us. The second thing we have to do is we have to view others the way that God sees them. We are so quick to, to judge people and pigeonhole people and put them in boxes based upon what they look like and, and, and their background and, and religion and everything else. And, and we go through our day, and we don't have a lot of time to develop this whole thought right now, but we go through our whole day encountering person after person after person after person. And we never think to ourselves that these are people created by God who he loves who need to know about the love of Jesus Christ. If we were to poll the audience right now, if we were to poll the audience right now, I bet there is more anger in the room. There is more frustration in the room over the fact that Robert Kraft accepted the NFL's punishment. We are more frustrated about that, more frustrated about that Robert Kraft would bend and cave to the NFL than the fact that Robert Kraft probably needs to know Jesus Christ. We're way more frustrated with that because we see things from our limited perspective and we don't think about the world that is to come. We think about the world that is here and now. Andy Grove was the president of Intel Corporation in the mid-80s. And in the mid-80s, Intel started as a memory company. They would make computer memory. And over the years, from 1970 until the mid-80s, other companies had emerged and were making memory for computers. By the mid-80s, 60% of Intel's business was gone to their competitors. And some of the guys down in the research and development uh, area of Intel came back and they formed something called a microprocessor. And now Intel, in 1981, IBM started using the microprocessor made by Intel. And so now Intel had two products. They had their memory product that they were getting killed in the, in, the, in the competition. And they had their microprocessing chip, which IBM started to use. The company, even though they were selling a ton of product, was not doing very well. And the president at the time, Andy Grove, was trying to decide, listen, Moving forward, do we continue with the memory? Do we continue with the microprocessing? Or what do we do? Because right now, the company is going nowhere. He says he was sitting, uh, in 1985, he was sitting with the CEO of Intel. His name was Gordon Moore. And so Andy Grove and Gordon Moore, they're sitting in the room. And Andy says to Gordon, he says, listen, if the board fired us tomorrow, if tomorrow, because we're underperforming, the board comes in and fires us, and they hire a new CEO, and he starts tomorrow, when he walks through the door, what would he do? And Andy Grove immediately said he would get rid of memory. He would get rid of that part of the business. 
And Andy Grove said to him, then why don't we just walk out the door, walk back in, and do the same thing? After they made that decision to switch to just microprocessing, if you invested $1,000 in 1985, I wish I would have too. If you invested $1,000 in 1985 in the Intel Corporation, I was in kindergarten, I don't know how I would have done it, but (laughs) if you invested $1,000 in 1985, it would be worth $47,000 today as opposed to the rest of the S&P 500, which that money would be worth $7,600 today. The only way he could make a decision is when, uh, the correct decision is when Andy Grove got out of his limited perspective and he thought about the outside perspective and that perspective gave him the opportunity to make a good decision. Listen, as long as we, under our limited perspective, continue to think that we know how to run our lives and we know what's most important and we know how to make the best decisions, that we will continue to make decisions that end up being poor decisions and we will end up continuing to waste our time. One day we're gonna stand faithful face to face in front of the creator of this world. And in that moment, the only perspective that will matter is his. If we are going to use our time on this earth wisely, if we are going to spend our time doing things that matter in the next world, if we're going to spend our time making wise decisions, not for this world, but for the next, and developing those things that when we see God face to face, he will say, well done then we need to get out of our own perspective and start thinking about this world and start thinking about ourselves through the eyes of God's unlimited perspective. And trust that when he says things that don't necessarily make sense to us, that he has a better perspective than we do. That when he said things, says things that don't necessarily go along with our idea that we're just to be here and God wants us to be happy. When he calls us to go through difficult things and to go through, difficult, through suffering and when he calls us to make the difficult decision and to stand up for what is right, we need to trust that his unlimited perspective is more important and better than our limited perspective. At the end of the day, his perspective is the only one that matters. I'm going to invite our worship team back as we close and just ask you the questions. Where is it in your life? And I have to ask myself the same thing. Where is it in your life that you are making poor decisions because you're only thinking about your perspective and not considering God's perspective? Where are we just wasting time? Because we're just thinking about our perspective and are not thinking about God's perspective. And would we, starting today, tell God that we are sorry for the decisions that we're making and that we are sorry for the time that we are wasting? And would we begin to do what he is calling us to do as we see the world the way that he sees it and as we see ourselves the way that he sees us. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you love us. God, even though we are sinners and even though we are far apart from you, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you continue to use us and work through us. God, I pray for us in this room. I pray for myself and each and every person here. God, that we will begin to see life and see this world, not just from our own perspective, which is so limited, but God, that we would see it from your perspective. 
Lord, that you would remind us that you are the God who sees all and knows all. That you are the God who knows the past. You're the God that knows everything that's happening in the present. And you are the God that knows the future. And when you call us to make decisions, and when you call us to live our lives a certain way, Lord, would we have the boldness and the courage and the wisdom, not just to trust our own perspective, but to look to your perspective and to do what you are calling us to do. Oh God, help us not to waste the time that you have given us. But just like Moses prayed, help us to number our days rightly. That we may honor you and glorify you in all we do. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close in one song of worship this morning?